0: Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat hers with Faster Skier. We are back with one last episode from the 2021-2022 Winter World Cup season. Devin and I are here to break down the last weekend three days of racing in absolutely drop-dead gorgeous sunny Falloon, Sweden. You may hear a little bit of sketchiness with our sound from the weekend, but that is what you get with a podcast like this one. We'll be back in a minute with our last episode of the 2021-22 winter season. We promise this won't be the last one before next year. So uh, check back with us after a couple weeks while we catch our breath from our end of season parties, the uh, spring marathon circuit and everything else that's going on. Appreciate everyone's support and listenership over the course of the season. This episode of The Devon Kershaw Show is brought to you by New Moon Ski & Bike, located in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin's picturesque Northwoods region, which borders Michigan's Upper Peninsula and is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebeiner. The Berkey has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable, Wisconsin to Hayward. Some have named the trail as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire U.S. The trails are groomed and maintained for both skate and classic skiing, or ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. New Moon is the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes, and fat bikes, clothing, accessories, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet, or check them out online at newmoonski.com. We also want to take a minute to encourage listeners to consider a voluntary subscription to FasterSkier. This work doesn't do itself. It takes time, money, and effort to produce all the work that you see on the FasterSkier website. So check out FasterSkier.com support if you're considering this. It's worth it and it helps if you want to continue being able to read about your favorite athletes on FasterSkier.com and hopefully to listen to your favorite podcast, this one.
1: We did it. We did it. Well, not yet. We have to record this, <laughs> like the World Cup season. We, it's almost like we've wrapped, we've like just laid it on thick with fists for canceling all these World Cups. But honestly, maybe if there was those three other World Cup weekends, I feel pretty shattered myself right now. And yeah, maybe it was a maybe it was a blessing in disguise for, for this podcast project. I don't know. But anyway, we did it last week, and what a weekend! Falun, it delivered.
2: I feel like it delivers every time. We were just talking about this yesterday with friends and like that place looks every time. I've never been, but it's like, you know, it's pretty, pretty high on the list with like, just like full sun, awesome crowds, awesome course. Um, I'm sure they've got other great Swedish components there. So yeah, for sure. Good for like interesting formats this weekend too. like all kinds of stuff to talk about.
1: No, for sure, and I, I I echo that, and that's what's kind of that's what's amazing about the spring program in the World Cup in cross country skiing is you have, you know, like the spring classics in road cycling I keep talking about with like paris Bay or Tour of Flanders or Milan San Remo or all these big big iconic old historic races in road cycling that happened in the spring every single year. Cross country skiing kind of has that in in the spring of the racing season to close out the season. You're always in Lati, You're always in Falloon. You're always in Holman colon or in Oslo. Sorry. So, and these venues just have such a deep, rich racing history that goes back uh, over a century in all these places. And you really feel that energy as an athlete when you're there. And all three of the courses also happen to be championship courses. I mean, Latti, as recently as 2017, had the world championships. Falloon had the world championships in, in 2015, re- as recently as. They've had them multiple times, so has Latti, and, and Oslo, of course, is, is the most iconic course in cross-country skiing. They've held the world championships and the Olympics um, in the past, and, and, it, and it held the world championships as recently as 2011. So there really is a special energy, and I'm really glad for that in cross-country because, to be to be honest you're kind of shattered at the end of the season, especially when you're an old man. Like I was at the tail end of my career, people that have been around a long time and to have that history and that richness and that excitement, like you said about the crowds, I mean, Falun's crowds are just, they're great. And you're coming from Holman colon, which has great crowds. It really, it really has all the markings of, okay, this is what European cross country ski racing is about. And it's a great way to end the season. And if you happen to race, well, it's, it helps so much for motivation going forward.
2: Do we have to uh, do we have to cover like any bureaucratic s- Russia whatever news or should we just get straight to it? I feel like we can just get straight to it.
1: We're going to get straight to it. Uh, everyone knows who's there and who's not, so we'll just get right to the. Let's we'll get right to the racing because I think there was some great. I think there was some great stories, but there is some bureaucratic housekeeping that I'm going to talk about right out of the gun with the sprint. Um, you know. This was crazy. We'll just get right into the into the meat and potatoes here, and I'm gonna change it up a bit. Instead of go, starting with the women like we normally do, I'm gonna start with the men. Johannes Klebo, I mean, best sprinter far actually at this point. Like it's not close. He had such a huge lead in the sprint cup. Gets COVID after Lottie, misses Drommen, uh where Juve wins, closing the gap, but he still had. Juve still had 94 points. He was 94 points adrift. What does that mean? Only one way to do it. There's only one way to take the globe if you're Juve. And that means Richard Juve has to win. It's Yeah, like in Norwegian, you know, it's saying like, which just means like, win or go home. And he did it. Juve wins the sprint, taking France's first ever globe home and I was it was awesome it was so awesome to see and following through all those heats and seeing how he was skiing like he didn't miss a beat from Dramen when he was so dominant and in Falun you had this huge storyline like okay there's no way I really thought before the event I mean Juve was fantastic in Dramen, don't get me wrong but I'm like classic sprint end of the season I mean any number of guys can beat him and it's done he's second in the sprint cup and that's probably what it should have been but at the same time what I've talked about a lot on this podcast with you is like it's not Juve's fault that the entire Norwegian sprint team is out with COVID like he can't control that you can only beat the guys that show up all the power to Juve overall sprint cup champ wins and like his celebration at the end, you, you saw how much it meant to him. You saw how much it meant to the French team and, uh, Jean-Avon on the podium joining him Oh, Like I thought the men's sprint was just like, it was fantastic.
2: And they had like that, you know, some like random dude who was like about to win semifinal until he crashed out on that hill. Like it was, uh, it, it was like a banner day for the French team and, and I'm going to do this. We, um, I don't know if you saw Devin, like Juve on Instagram posted this. It, it was like, they were celebrating inside the French wax bus. Like they were singing and dancing and he had this like clip. You could see like eight kinds of alcohol from like Jägermeister to like wine, like, you know, multiple kinds of wine, uh, several, several kinds of beer. And um, as much as, you know, you could argue, yeah, like maybe Clive would deserved you know, A, he got COVID, B, like, it's just, it's awesome to be able to see things, like, get changed up like that, and, you know, the, the French team, I feel like, you know, has just been so strong this year, and to see them kind of get rewarded uh, at the end of the season like this is is really nice, and I, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about that, Devin, I mean, it, we were talking about, I was talking about this with some friends, I'm up here in Talkeetna a couple hours north of Anchorage for <clears throat> a ski race this weekend, and, here with a bunch of ski friends and we were kind of talking about um, this is a little bit dangerous territory. I'm going to talk about the, 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 the French men's like their uh, physique, like these guys are like, it just looks like they're spending the entire off season in the weight room. Like these guys are built and, you know, maybe not in the same way that um, some of the Scandinavian sprinters are. And and like curious if you have any thoughts about kind of their, Development as like a team over the past few years, and if you know anything about sort of what they're doing for like training or strength or anything like that,
1: for sure. I mean, they've been they've created this this sprint program for the men in France a long, long time ago, actually, and and came out of the gun actually with quite quite a lot of success with young sprinters in France. And you're absolutely right; is they go against the mold of the Scandinavian model and the Scandinavian model, which is in norway which is in sweden is more yeah you train kind of like an all-around skier with a little less hours and just a little bit more intensity but the focus of course is still on yeah it's a blending of capacity and power whereas whereas in france and this is where they had a lot of success and they kind of wrote the recipe for it where where they yeah as they get a little older like a guy like juve that's been around for a long time of course he still trains a lot every year but there is more emphasis on strength, explosivity, and power. And you're right, Juve's a tank. Juve is a total tank. He's, he's, he's humongous. But and you so also. Have remember, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But you have to remember that this isn't something we have not, it's not a France only characteristic we've seen in sprinting, as sprinting has progressed as a discipline. You know, you had Petchukov from Russia, who was also a tank in his day, like completely. And you had, I mean, he's French too, but Baptiste Gro, of course, was part of his development. Who was just a total beast. Um, but you have guys like, you know, I, I look to a guy like Valnes, and yeah, he's not at the level of Jew, but he's a big, he's a big boy too. So, so in sprinting, There's different ways to win and there's different ways to progress. And these guys have absolutely picked a development model, which little lower hours, more intensity at like what physiologically would be like MAS or zone four, zone five intervals, more than the traditional Scandinavian model, which, which builds on more essentially like a Lybiard method where you build a base, you do a ton of threshold, then you start adding in VO2 max intervals afterwards, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and all melded with, um, all combined, I should say, with, with a really systematic strength training program. And I love, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting any asterisks against this globe. COVID's been going on for two years. It's part of the game now. Sorry to say, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And you got to stay healthy. And the French were able to do that. Juve especially. And, and they, they put two guys in the top three spring cup. And Juve takes down Klebo to win the globe in style. Like the only way this could have happened was he closes out the year in classic, I should say. Like we're used to seeing Juve all over the podium and skate, but in classic, like who would have thought with two races to go that like Juve is going to win back to back in Scandinavia to steal the globe from Klebo's crafts Nobody, nobody bets that. So that's what the story was just, a, a fantastic one to follow along. And I, I want to give a huge shout-out to Johnny Mackey, too. Because what a season yeah, he's totally. had. Yeah, What a season he's had. Like We saw him in the Olympics skiing outside of himself, and especially in the team sprint. But but regardless, don't forget the guy was fourth at the Olympic sprint, which is, you know, I've been fourth at the Olympics. It's, it's a tough place to finish. It sucks, actually. And do you know how many – World Cup Sprint Podiums Johnny Mackey has zero. He had zero coming into this race. He finished his second, and you saw how much it meant to him on the podium, man. He was really moved, as he should be. It's a huge, huge milestone. You're on the board. You've solidified yourself as as one of the best sprinters in the world. And what a feeling. And the motivation he'll take, he'll take forward it is gonna be huge. So I I loved everything about the sprint. I love the course in Falloon uh it was awesome to follow along i got to give a shout out to graham Ritchie, of course uh finishes 20th so he also he also finished strong in the world cup uh qualifying and all these sprints coming down the stretch and, and that was really great to see after a really tough season by richie a really tough season by the canadians in general earlier on uh except for Ruka and stuff but i mean it was really nice to see rich get get some more experience and, all, and the canadian team is so young that uh that they'll take that experience with them as well. I mean, Tony Sear made the heats as well. So that, that, that bodes well. And I mean, it was a great way to end the, end the sprint season. And I, yeah, like you said, sun shining fans out on course and, and, and some surprise. So the men's sprint was awesome.
2: Totally. Um, and the women's sprint was uh, not hard on, uh, not hard to watch either.
1: No, no. The women's sprint <laughs> sunling man. <laughs> Oh, my God. So the big story, of course, is like the farewell tour of Tereza Hug, right? That, that's what it's been in home and in Falun. These are her last World Cups, the best distance skier that ever lived. Tereza Hug takes her farewell. But the hair apparent after Tereza, midway through the season, I don't think anybody would say that, like, oh, yeah, Sunling Ling is, is someone to watch for the overall World Cup. And then she lands on the podium in home and colon in the 30 K ends up third, six days later, she crushes, crushes the field. Like her prologue was flabbergasting. And in the heats, you can't even, it's not even about taking control. I mean, she's on a different planet compared to her competitors right now and absolutely undressed everyone to take a, huge win. So Sundling's doing everything right. What a great way to go into the offseason with all this confidence. Uh, Just a phenomenal race. Lampage too. Nice to see Lampage, who is so, 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 so good. Come second. She's been third so many times. I mean, like, it's funny because no one's one's ever bummed out being third in the World Cup. But you got to think, like, for someone like Lampage that has been third in the World Cup, so many times now it must have felt nice to just like climb up one more step I mean it had to
2: um I can imagine and yeah I mean and like uh, also I just like it's it's also I feel like been really nice to watch um I mean Slovenia like like lampage has had consistent results this winter I was kind of following them on social media like they are not like the biggest most funded team I think they've got like a couple wax techs and a coach and it's like you know they are Holding it down. We're also holding it down today in the in the mixed team sprint, which was fun to watch until they got like kind of weirdly pulled. But um, and, and also with uh, Urvich, who's, you know, been really strong in the past couple of years, kind of it sounds like she's kind of pulled the plug on the on the World Cup this year. And then and then we got to talk about both, you know, third and fourth place Dogfist and Kern. I mean, Dogfist's boyfriend, Kevin Bolger out with covid like i was shocked to see dogfist on the on the start line uh for the sprint but sounded like she was testing negative and and for her to come through and you know she wins the crystal globe for for the sprint it was it was a little heartbreaking to watch julia kern you know like in podium position seemed like she kind of had it locked down stumbles just a tiny little bit on that last hill and and loses it just at the very end of dogfist i mean you know it's one of those things where i'm sure she and the u.s team it sounded like were it was just a real kind of tough one to swallow but at the same time i mean she was skiing lights out also was skiing like lights out today in that uh in that mixed relay and just you know she's 24 25 seems like just really bodes well and and should give her some pretty awesome stoke going into the off season to train hard for the next year like she was she was just skiing awesome on uh on friday
1: oh absolutely and i you know julia kern has like i've talked talked in the past like kind of has that characteristic like diggins in the sense that like which julia kern is going to show up the one that's skiing technically solid or the one that kind of falls apart of it technically and in the sprint she was she was skiing fantastically and and the women she's beating I mean we all saw how dominant Mikan was to win in Drammen, and and Mikan was parked in that final completely and Kern comes forth. i I've repeated this so many times and, and people that listen to me drone on and on know that that's just kind of our jam but like mid 20s Horrendous season last year, comes around in the Olympic season, delivering performances like this, not just once in a while, but throughout the entire season, in each period, she can go back and look to some races, as can the team, and have some real highlights. And fourth place, yeah, you know, it is, quote-unquote, heartbreaking to miss the podium, but Dahlquist, who is third, wins the Sprint Cup. She's been far and away the best sprinter of the season from start to finish, of course. Sundling missing a lot of period one, so that would have been a great, great competition. But we can't take anything away from Dolquist. She has four World Cup wins in a row. Anytime you do that in a season, that that's something to be held. Like, that's something special. In so, sprint
2: too, like that's in you, free, you can't. For just... sure,
1: totally. Totally, it's not just about your capacity. You're not just smashing people like Teresa does in the individual starts. It's like you have to you have to put yourself in position to deliver as well. And and I think with Kern being fourth, I hope. I hope in time she can really, not just in time, I hope even by now on Sunday, she can look back to a race like that and be like, wow, if you would have asked me in September that in a classic sprint to close out a tough season where I've been to the Olympics, I've traveled all around, I haven't been back to the U.S. in months and months.
2: On a championship course too, like this was not not just like a, you know, dressed whatever.
1: This is for real. And, And I'd be fourth and just made a little mistake that cost me, Against someone to the likes of Dahlquist, I think Kern would have laughed in your face and said, like, would I be satisfied? I'd be dancing, like, I'd be dancing around the wax bus like I just won the Super Bowl. I mean, so fantastic performance. And coming back to Dahlquist, I thought it was interesting. You said, Bulger being out with COVID today, <laughs> today, on the antigen test, who tests positive? My Dahlquist. So, that couldn't have came at a better time for the Swedish superstar. Her season is now over, but she got that one last world cup podium before she put a nail in, in, in the season. And this is, I'm laughing and I shouldn't, because I mean, I, I I've tested positive for COVID three weeks ago and, and it's just, it's everywhere. It's running rapid. Omicron is spreading like the ditty and it's hard to avoid. You know, we have one athlete in Canada, Sunthreen Brown that tested positive again. She had, She had been tested, she tested positive earlier in the pandemic for Delta and now missed the races in Falloon, which is really heartbreaking because the 10K skate on a course like that was just tailor made for for an athlete like Sandrine. And now, as the Canadian team packs up and leaves tomorrow, the Canadian regulations say that you have to be 10 days after your positive test before you can travel back into Canada. So she'll wave goodbye to her Canadian teammates and have a couple more days in Falloon before she gets to travel home so it, this pandemic isn't over and it's it's something that all these athletes have to navigate And every time i meet friends out skiing that have raced on the world cup or, or chatting with people on the phone or texting that have been on the world cup from various countries sweden norway and canada everyone's saying the same thing that are retired like I, I'm, I'm so happy i don't have to deal with that i never had to deal with that as an athlete because it's it's a huge huge challenge
2: well, and, and we've seen, I mean, <clears throat> the U S team in the past two weeks, it's like, I think it's half a dozen world cup athletes. And I mean, this isn't anything, you know, that isn't happening anywhere else, but just for, you know, our audience of this podcast, it's like, you know, you had Bolger this week, you had Swerble and Ogden last week, you had Hunter Wonders and uh, Johnny, Johnny Hagenbush uh, the week before Lauren jordberg So like, I mean, yeah, it's it's nuts. I, I will say um, I'm fortunate to live in Alaska where COVID doesn't exist and uh, you know is is not a problem here anymore. Because uh, you know, I I, I will say um, I did not walk in the bar last night, but there were uh, I'm pretty sure there were there was at least one World Cup skier. Uh, you could not you could not even take a step in there like I was outside looking into the inside the door, and it was like. Yep, we are we are definitely in a post-COVID moment here. So um,
1: uh, it's, a super, it's a super spreader. You're living the super spreader, event while you're watching it, you're observing it. But either way, it's just uh, it's 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 a huge challenge, and in, in, here in Scandinavia, especially Norway and Sweden, their case numbers are are like they're outrage. It's outrageous because there's no rules anymore um, in, in these Scandinavian countries. Everything's like totally wide open. Um, the the ICUs are are totally under control. The healthcare system is not, is not um, being burdened at an extreme way with COVID at the moment. So, but that, but that means that there's a, there's a huge risk of contracting, contracting the disease. And, and it, it's affected a lot of teams. I mean, like you said, uh, the U S getting smacked with half the team, by the, but it's not just the U S there's, there's a lot of teams in the world cup in the last few weeks that have been, I've yeah. been struggling with COVID-19. So it's, uh, it, it breaks my heart, but I mean, geez, I, I, uh, you gotta hope that. I mean, how many more waves of this are we gonna have? I mean, with the war in Ukraine, that's a right place for <laughs> new mutations. But anyways, we'll leave that aside and get back to the racing.
2: Yeah, totally. So I want to go. I want to go straight to. Uh, I want to go straight to the men's uh, 15k, and I I want I want to go straight to uh, the spot number two on the men's podium. Do you, know I mean? oh, yeah. you know what I'm getting at here, Devin?
1: Oh yeah, and I am gonna have to eat my socks anyone that's been listening to this podcast for any number of years. I, I love to trash Kelly Alverson, but if you go back and you listen to what I've said, it's because he's actually good and he just under delivers over and over and over again for the talent that he has. And he's from Dalarna. He's from this region in Sweden. And the guy comes out of nowhere. He has not been on the world cup podium in four years, a quadrennial, a full quadrennial since we've seen Callie Halverson at the sharp end of any race. And he was a sneeze away, really. Not really. I mean, Didrik was amazing. We'll get back to that. But he finishes second. He closes out the World Cup season with a silver medal in the 15K skate in Falloon. There is nobody, there is nobody. Well, there probably was some, and those people made a lot of money because if you were going to bet on the podium in Falloon, you do not pick a Cali Halverson. You, you, you don't, not even close. And there's two things I wanna say. One, if you watch the race and you see how he was skiing his first two laps, like you have not seen Cali ski like that in so, so long. He was, he's a power skier, he always has been. He's a bigger guy, he's strong. And he, he was hitting his angles properly. His timing was really good. But his power, that's what I thats what I watched from the first split. At like 1.8K, I'm like, wow, this is a totally different Cali Halverson. Is, is he going to be able to hold this on? Because this is what he looked like back in the days. And and he fell apart a little bit the last time at Murderbuck in the, the big, big hill, the famous hill in, in Falloon, uh, up to about the 12.8K split. It looked like he was falling apart technically a little bit, but his speed was not. And a beautiful, beautiful performance. The question I have, though, because just it's low-hanging fruit, Nat, you know <laughs> you know what I mean? Where has this been? Like, this is how good he is. Well, the Swedish exactly. Men have struggled. The Swedish men have struggled so much. Callie Halverson should have been the mentor to Purama. He should have been, and he hasn't been. And that's what's left Sweden in this, like, succession list disaster they're in with their men's team on the distance side of things. No one is there to take a leadership role. And it kind of pisses me off to see Callie have such a great race because it's like Callie, you have an important guy instead. He's been bitching, complaining, and skiing like shit and like having a ton of excuses for the last few years, leaving a young guy like Poroma to just do it on his own or with or with Berman. I I know Bergman's been awesome, but but he's been struggling a lot with back injuries the last few years too. So yeah, it just leaves my head scratching. A beautiful performance, but like Callie, where have you been, man? Like, this is no, how good you
2: are. I, I I agree completely. It's like in some ways I'm I'm gonna pump your tires a little bit. It like it completely it, like bears you out on the like. This is a dude who can get second place, and all season he's been like just doofing around. And you know, I mean, I I I was looking for some tape uh from the olympics before this podcast and i couldn't find it but i i like did this really brief interview with cal haverson like uh right at the end of the olympics and was like asking him about his experience and and he was like yeah like this place sucks like we should never like have had the olympics here like it's too high we should be doing these races at like sea level where like ski racing is fun and ski racing is fair. and i was like oh, okay okay um, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. just like yeah
1: yeah and, and that's the whole thing like he's been talking and I, I know I know friends of Cali and, and people in Sweden I've talked with like you know a lot of people have been saying like ah, Cali is going to be done after this year this is it and if he does retire what a way to go out first of all first of all to to come up with a second place on your home course essentially that's a storybook ending but if he does continue, if this it but on the flip side, like if he if he's like, No, no, this is this is the confirmation I need to know that I can still do it, I I hope he can take some of the confidence and, and mix it with a bit of like old man humility, because he's been around the block a bit, to be like, Okay, you know what? I, I have to change my attitude and I, have to, I yeah, maybe he has to be a, just a member of the team and, and be a little bit more humble. I don't know, like and and, and the team just can't look to Cali Halverson as a leader because he's shown in the last few years, he's not able to do it, but he's still able to deliver beautiful results. And he did that today as well. I mean, like the mixed team sprint that we'll get back to, it wasn't just Sundling that was skiing great. Like Cali was also skiing great today. So he he finishes his, his season with a, with a crazy result. The biggest thing though, Didrik Tonsef, he has not won in six years and got dropped from the Norwegian national team as early as last season and yet the guy finishes the world cup season with a win with a w man in a 15k skate 6 days after he came third in and heartbreakingly so for him he wanted to win but he just wasn't able to get the gap he needed on the climbing sections there and the way he was skiing and the way he delivered it was i mean textbook hats off didrik's back this will get him back on the national team. And, you know, the the struggles he's had the last few seasons obviously has put them behind him. Uh, you know, not, it's so hard to make the Olympic team, but, but you know, in hindsight, and hindsight's always 2020. 20, why did Emma Leverson ever get named to the Olympic team in Norway? I think it's easy we can say that now. Whereas a guy like Diddy that was 6th in Lillehammer and has been all over the top 10 all season long, maybe that would have been a better bet to bring the Olympics. But either way, uh, what's done is done. And he finishes the season with a, with a world cup win, which is amazing. Harald Abmundsen, the young Norwegian that also got left off the Olympic team, not controversially, but also a tough guy. These are tough calls, right? Like you want to have totally. a guy like Abundsen, you want to have a guy like Abundsen get Olympic experience. Uh, you know, he won a, an individual medal in Oberstdorf in the 15K skate in 2021. And then the next season he has a great season and doesn't get to go to the show, which is crazy. But here's another stat that's crazy about the podium. Amundsen has all of zero World Cup podiums prior to this performance.
2: Yeah, first one. And
1: and it's his first one. And I think that's what's been fun with Infalu. Johnny Mackey, first World Cup podium, um, even though he's been such a great sprinter for a number of years. And Amundsen is an up-and-comer and and, and, and snakes his first World Cup podium. So I thought the podium was totally wild. (laughs) Like, just a crazy podium around. Like, just just bonkers, actually.
2: And... And you, and you had like Amundsen w- wins, uh, you know, the bronze uh, in this race by less than a second over, over Holland. Like it's super tight. And then, and then I think we got to tip our toques, so to speak to, uh, to Scott. I mean, we, you know, it's a whole bunch of Norwegians, but then Scott Patterson in seventh place, um, Oliver LeVay in yeah. uh, in ninth place. And then uh, Zach Ketterson, uh, like, you know, first season, I think, really getting to race on the World Cup, like kind of yes, coming sir. out of nowhere in in uh, like tied for 15th place. This is a dude I sent you a, a screenshot, Um, you know, was racing I on literally 10 year old Matsu skis on the Tour to Ski earlier this season. Like, you know, just try, trying to get a break here and break in and like just like this, this was like. A world-class result for uh, for Zach Ketterson and, you know, probably more to say even about, like, Scott and, and uh, Olivier, but just, like, really wanted to get to that because I just felt like, you know, that was awesome and, and he also skied really awesome today, uh, too, and I'm sure, you know, more to say about that.
1: Of course, and, and we're going to start with Scott. Scott, buddy, obviously you're not listening to this and you sure shit shouldn't listen to anything that comes out of my mouth, but, buddy... What an amazing season. And again, struggle bus, man. Scott Patterson has had struggle bus seasons here, year after year. And we know how good he can be when he can put it together. Just look what he did in Pyeongchang. But then it was like some sort of – because I've got a giant exam. It was, it was like there was some, like, methylation that happened in some of his <laughs> His genes got regulated and turned off. It's like, what happened to Scott Patterson, man? He was so good in Pyeongchang. And then things just weren't working whatsoever. Breaks his wrist mountain biking in the fall. You're like, I'm seeing him in Lillehammer. He can't race well because he can't use his arm properly. And I'm like, oh my God, like it's another disaster season for Scott. Eighth place in the 28.4K at the Olympics. And then best World Cup result of his entire career. And the way he did it and the way he was able to close off his season he, he's, he's a quiet guy. He's a hardworking guy. You know, he doesn't look as Bruce Springsteen song <laughs> as uh, Ben Ogden, but, but he is, he is a blue collar skier, man. He's just a grinder. He trains his ass off. He is tough as nails and to see him get paid for that hard work. And, and then not just like once in a while, you know what I mean? Because like, I know it's fun. Everyone's even in the Norwegian media, when I'm watching the watching the race not media but in the in the commentating you know they're like scott patterson you know a championship or olympic specialist because he doesn't have any world cup results really i'm sorry he doesn't and seventh dude once you're top 10 in the world cup especially an individual start like that is a level that you should never take for granted like i don't know yeah i don't know how many top 10s i have had in my career but never once not my first not my 35th I don't even know if I have 35 but whatever like I never took it for granted because everyone knows when you're in the top 10 the difference between a seventh place and a third place is nothing like you are an elite company once you're in the world cup top 10 and that's a totally totally different level you are truly one of the best skiers in the world and Scott Patterson showed that at the Olympics but then to follow that up to be able to do it on the world cup for the first time like that fantastic stuff and the motivation that he'll take with him into the season the support he'll get from the u.s team there's a young exciting team behind him he can have a leadership role in in that program on the distance side of things as well and not all leadership has to be like flamboyant and extroverted rah 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 like a jesse dickens there there's there's something to be said about a silent leader too that just gets the work done and loves what he does This
2: is a this is a guy that like you know as of the Olympics when we were talking there like I you know I don't think Scott even really knew if he was gonna be skiing another year of racing at least sort of fully over in Europe in this kind of way and 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 you know I don't know you you gotta assume that after delivering results like he has over the past month that you know he's he's probably changing his mind here I know he was also he he's a guy where you're really man, I hope someone offers him a ski classics contract and to the, you know, to the many team managers that are listening to this podcast. Um, You know, Scott definitely was volunteering his services. I will take a 10% commission on the referral. And uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, I agree. I mean, Scott's just a guy that like, you know, he has social media, but he's not like, it's, you know, he's not like out there with 18 sponsors. He's just like, you know, quietly kind of hitting 20 mile runs in the chugach front range like just doing what he likes to do and I, like for me and i think for a lot of people like here in alaska like just like knowing that you know there's a guy that's out there who's able to sort of train like that in a way that's like you know he clearly is kind of getting to do the stuff that people in alaska just really like to do like that's i think it's a really cool thing to like you were saying sort of see that see the payoff for him like he's got this season
1: sure and he's 29 years old and he's a hard man and i I don't know i you know i i love like climbing history and like you know what i mean like the the play don't spray kind of attitude to like although that's changed now and everyone just spraying everywhere But, but the fact of the matter is like scott just puts his head down doesn't say anything and he just delivers the goods like he trains his ass off and he loves what he's doing and i i hope two things i'll say two things one i hope scott still as passionate about cross country skiing as he was when I talked with him earlier this year. And I hope he continues because I think he could have such a valuable role for these young, these young talented American skiers coming up behind him to inspire them and to show them what like hard work really is what hard work is really like. And no hard work by itself isn't enough to be great. It's not enough to medal in the world cup just to work hard, but to be exposed to that, as a young athlete like uh, Luke or Ben or Zach or any number of these young American guys that are coming up through the program or JC or wherever, you know it helps. It all helps. So I, I hope he stays, and and the Ski Classics aren't going anywhere. And that's really where careers go when you're done with the World Cup side of things. And and I hope that uh, I hope that Scott's not done with the World Cup side of things because what he showed to what he showed yesterday was was a level that not many American skiers have been able to deliver, and and it's it's promising.
2: No Another doubt. Thing what about Yeah, Canada.
1: Olivier, dude, Olivier ninth place. <laughs> here, here this is where we need the this is where we need the to get on it again. How many first year seniors have a top 10 world cup finish? It's a short list, man. It's not a big list. In the men's especially. It, it this was a beautiful beautiful performance by Olivier And yeah, he had some great races in Ruka. He did. But individual start, 15K skate. It's a North American thing for these young seniors. Like Gus Schumacher, this is where his breakthrough performance was as well, to be top 10 as a first-year senior last year in Falloon. And Olivier closes out the season in such style. And I, I just can't say it enough. Like, yeah, he has an individual medal at World Juniors, a bronze medal. And yeah, he's had a great season. He's been all over the top 30, you know, between 25 and 30, really, most of the time, which for a first year senior is, is awesome if you could do that once or twice. But he's been doing that consistently, which has been awesome to see. And that's not to say about his Ruka breakthrough, which was fantastic. But to be ninth in Falun in a 15K skate individual start, again, Olivier's been gone all year long. He was in Beijing. He's been traveling for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know they were home over over uh, to do their preparation before the Olympics, but his home is in Quebec, like it, is in Quebec, and his, his pre-camp for the Olympics and all the tune-ups, that was all out West, so he might as well have been in Europe. I mean, he was far from home. And the poise that he's showing, the way he's skiing, and the the delivery of a performance like that to end the season for a young athlete, I'm telling you, it's not something that happens often, and it's something really special and it's something that shows that the promise for the future, for the whole Canadian team, but especially Olivier, is huge. And, and I, I have to say, I was almost shocked. It was, it was, a, it was an amazing, amazing performance. And, and I'm just echoing what I said earlier about Scott, when you're racing in the top 10 at the World Cup, it's a different level. You, you've, you've raised your game to be amongst the best I mean, cross-country on earth. And, and it, it just, it, it, I can't say it enough. It's amazing. Look look
2: who he's on uh, ahead of the results list, like Ivo Niskanen, Simon Kruger, Magnificat, Peroma. I mean, you know, it goes on like it's incredible.
1: And then not just that, but like you have to remember the guy was in homicol and getting the doors blown off him like a week earlier. So it's not like you can't even say like, well, he didn't go to the Olympics. He didn't go to. He didn't do the 50 K, you know, he's rested. He's coming into the world cup when everyone's tired and he's not like, no, 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 no. Olivier has done everything, man. He's even been starting sprints. He's been doing everything. So the fact that he could muster up a performance like that at the end of the season, man, it's going to give him so much motivation and Louis Bouchard and the whole, the whole um, training center out of Quebec city. uh, It was a great day for them. You had uh, Tony Sear in the top 30 again in skating. 25th I mean like that's a good that's a that's a good race for Tony in skating honestly and, and he's a young promising athlete and Philippe Boucher 29th not a name you see a lot in the World Cup you know he doesn't get a lot of chances and the chances he's gotten in the past like he just has not been able to deliver he, he's come over to the World Cup and got the doors blown off him every time and for him to finish his season with the 29th place in the points young promising athlete as well it just bodes well it, it, it's uh, these are great these are all great performances by the canadians but zach too man like you already you already said all that needs to be said but 15th what the way to close the season there too and yeah just the motivation the americans and the canadians it's a really really exciting men's program on both sides of the border there's a lot of young talents that can really help each other if they can get the team dynamics right And work hard together and do it together and do it their way and we're gonna have 10 years 10 years plus of some just phenomenal results from from north american men's skiing and and that's great because it's been it's been dark dude it's been a dark period here for men skiing in in north america for a while like since alex was done and even alex's last season although he closed off in style in, in, in quebec city but even in alex's last season racing like he was racing out of the top 30 a lot. So like it's it's uh this is fun to see.
2: Totally. Well, um, should we move on to Teresiohog hog um winning the only way? Uh ending her career the only way that she was possibly gonna gonna end it here.
1: Yeah, there was there is only one way to end it, and that's by smashing the competition <laughs> like they're a bunch of chumps and that's what Teresa did. I mean, what can you say? I mean, you're witnessing greatness at a level that is so rare, like a generational talent, you know? If the best skier, if the best women's skier that ever lived was Mara Birgin, I think it, 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 with this one song that we saw today, with Teresa Johak, there's no, there's no denying that the best distance skier, man or woman, to ever live, uh, Bjorn Dolly is in there. But, okay, the best women's distant skier that ever lived. That's Therese Yoha because she, the way she, she closed out her career there in the 10k skate was, yeah, she left nothing in doubt. The, the world has never seen a Tereza, and yeah, there's some really talented young women also in in World Cup skiing that are now will get their chance. You know, frida Carlson or an Eva Ebba, Ebba Anderson, or you know, and not that Jesse's all that young anymore, but you know, Jesse Diggins, uh, you know, moving Therese out of the way. It's uh, there's lots, lots of talented women, but um, the likes of Teresa, it's it's so rare and not surprising to see her smash the competition like she did. But what a way to go out! And yeah, well, you witness greatness, and it's you don't get to witness that every single generation. You don't. So it's a magical performance.
2: What what I am just, just by is I've got the results pulled up in front of me and. Yeah, Teresiohog absolutely obliterates everyone. You know, thirty seconds in a ten k, in a twenty minute ten k. Um, but then you look, and you keep look, looking down, and it's like there are five uh, in in a five second or six or seven second cluster right after Yohog, and just like you know, I mean, you, you can we 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 can break it down, but just you know the the level of competitiveness that it feels like we're going to see um on the women's world cup distance circuit next year as long as sundling does not continue developing at her current trajectory in which case you know she's just going to be like beorganing everyone next year but um yeah i'm just you know i'm really excited by that um you know you've got sundling diggins parmakowski wang Anderson, Niskanen, all within 15 seconds for the next six places. And uh, just, you know, like, suddenly and Diggins had an epic battle for uh, second yesterday, and then um, Parmikoski's not behind. Heidi Wang's right in there. So I, I just feel like, um, you know, awesome awesome to see Yogg finish her career like that, but it's also going to be awesome to not have every women's distance race, it feels like, be a, a foregone conclusion next year.
1: No, for sure. And I think, you know, we've, we've got some emails about that, you know, where people are like, what is Devin? Like, why do you and Devin talk about all the time how exciting the women's racing is? and It's always just Teresa that winning. But, like, I'm telling you, man, women's racing is what's up. Like, yeah, because Teresa is like that Michael Jordan type athlete that just is such a generational talent. And, and what you describe that race behind Teresa is exciting as it's been all season long. And it's like Diggins, 10K skate, Faloon with those descents, with those corners, skating. It's a race that you expect Diggins to, you know, be be on the podium. But it was so tight that a few small mistakes drop her down to like six or seven. So the fact that she was third in that epic battle was an amazing performance by Diggins, really. I know, and this is something somebody that had two medals at the Olympics, has won tons of races. She won the overall World Cup last year. So I know people might say like, What are you talking about, Devin, that it was an amazing performance? But it is. It is when it's so tight and it's so competitive on the women's field. So Diggins delivers a a, a fantastic performance to close out her season. And all all those women you mentioned have had just fantastic seasons, except for, you know, okay, Eva maybe underperformed at the Olympics compared to where her level should be. But but you have, you, you know, the likes of Parmakowski, a resurgence in her career, Heidi had really bad luck with COVID-19, but was looking in good form earlier this year, racing well. And, and Niskanen, in a total resurgence in her career this season. And Sunling, as you said, I mean, like, is she the next Birgan? Like, we'll see. Cause I mean, geez, what a what a way to finish off her season. And I'm so excited for the for the years ahead. I mean, I do want to mention that Diggins finishes the season second in the overall World Cup. And I know we we touched on that a few weeks ago. But again, an American, it's almost like an afterthought. I feel like I have to pinch myself sometimes. Like We have an American woman who won the overall World Cup last year who took two medals, two individual medals in the Beijing Olympics and finishes second in the overall World Cup on the heels of being the overall world cup champion jesse diggins isn't just a legend within american ski history but yeah okay she might not be a legend in 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 women's skiing throughout history internationally necessarily but but she is at the sharp end of women's racing internationally and and it's not just one year where people were missing and this that the other were happening Jessie Diggins is the real deal. And she the way that she's just able to deliver, especially this year. I mean, what a yeah. I don't want to say diamond or luck or anything, because it was hard work and and it takes the village to produce it for the red, white, blue. I mean, I'm Canadian. And I, I'm just so thrilled to be able to have a Diggins to cheer for because yeah, she's, she's she's the full package. She really is. And, and I thought it was really cool to see her on the top three of the overall World Cup again after winning the Globe last year.
0: Also, just I think
2: <clears throat> worth mentioning really briefly, I mean, we saw Diggins sit out the iconic Holman Colon 30K last weekend. And, you know, I think there were some people who were just kind of curious what she was doing. Did she have COVID? Um, and you know, why are you sitting at a race like this close to the end of the season? Cause at that point we knew that human had been canceled. And, and she talked about that a little bit yesterday that, you know, that was a really tough call for her to make, but also, you know, I think impressive to see that be borne out in her racing this weekend that like, look, she needed to sit that race out. She knew, you know, and, and I, I don't think you can take for granted that an athlete, is able to kind of have the discipline to know when to sit out a race, particularly like one like that, that just is like, you know, who doesn't want to race that Holman Cole 30 K. But that, you know, seeing that decision really pay off for her this weekend where she, she ends up on the podium in a, in a really, 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 really tight race. Um, So I I thought that was cool. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I want to jump in on that too a little bit. Sorry. It is, it's not just cool to see or good to see. It's, it's incredible to see that she, maybe she's learning and her staff are learning because what's, what's been Diggins, like what's been one of Diggins issues in the, in the last few years is not being able to make decisions like that. Like just raising everything like, Oh, you're wrecked. You're sick, whatever. We're doing it. We're going for it. Oh, okay. You had podiums and now they're 10th. Now they're 20th. And now, they're like 26 places and now you're just wrecked and you've got a cold and you're out for two weeks. Like Dickens was kind of like the bullshit method where you just like, there's a race I'm going, how are you feeling? I'm not asking myself how I'm feeling. I'm just going to the start and I'm going to crush myself. And, and to see her have the wisdom and the wherewithal and, and the awareness to say, no, I know it's the end of the season, but I've been traveling all over this year. It's taking a lot of energy to win medals at the Olympics you know, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm on the, on a knife's edge and I'm just going to take the opportunity to, to, um, you know, save my bullets and, and wait for Falloon, which is a 10K skate, which, you know, is suits her so well. I mean, it shows a lot of, it shows a lot of wisdom and poise. And, and these are the decisions that Diggins has to be able to make more often, I think. And we talked about this earlier, Nat, like those Olympic medals, ha- do they happen? Had the January races in the world cup not been canceled. Same with Bolshinov. You know, we talked about that too. Both Bolshinov and and Diggins have a hard time saying no to races. And if this is a, if this is a lesson that she's learning and she really truly takes it to heart and she can take these results like she saw today or yesterday, sorry, and today uh, with her that like, okay, I can manage my energy a little better. Hey man, there's no, there's no reason why she can't have an individual gold medal at the world championships next year or, or take another overall world cup globe i mean everything's possible with an athlete like diggins if if you start making smart decisions as well so I, I thought it was pretty telling and pretty cool to see that it paid off like that
2: totally well um i feel like we gotta move on to sunday uh because the sun is shining here it's glorious spring and, and i uh i gotta get out skiing but man um, i mean also i just feel like we gotta at least mention um you know rosie brennan is eighth place in this race um you know finishing up and today we can talk about it but i mean she's had a just fantastic season i think uh sounds like she's gonna go now ski the burkebiner next weekend which should be uh fun for rosie and and fun for folks to watch but just you know she like people have heard enough about rosie on this podcast like we we haven't given her short trip but you know closing out a season like this like not with a whimper but with another top 10 um you know she she deserves like all the credit I think for you know her kind of perseverance and and you know it kind of goes without saying at this point but you know I feel like we can't just like skip over an eighth oh. on the result sheet result and and Ever. also Drew, Julia Kern with a decent result uh the 20th place in a in a distance race like in there with some pretty competitive athlete so i don't know if there's any more to say on the women's results from from yesterday but other than that maybe maybe we can talk about these uh new formats from today
1: yeah i know for sure i'm glad you mentioned rosie i was going to mention it as well again <laughs> four years ago rosie had like no top tens ever and now it's like routine so oh yeah what a what a season for rosie and, and and also so important for these young women as well. You know, we talked about how important Diggins is as an icon and she really is now, now Diggins is an icon, especially in the U S um, but you know, it, it, not all, not all women, not all young women in the U S are, are going to relate to someone like a Diggins wh- who is a lot like a Terezio hug where they just never seem to get tired. They have endless energy. They say yes to thousands of sponsors, things. They're, they're all over the place. They're out there in the media. They get a lot of energy from that. Not, not every athlete is that type of athlete and, and to have another woman on the U S team. That is yeah, one of the best in the world. No question. In Rosie that does it a little different in a little bit different way than Diggins does. It, it only helps the have um, succession in your program. So it was, it was great to see her finish off. Well, moving on to today, the relays, mixed relays, we talked about this earlier. I mean, first of all, the U.S. wins. Okay, the U.S. wins the the first mixed relay for the last what twenty something years. I mean, I think the last time they tried a mixed relay was back in like a Bjorn Dali era. So that that's that's back in the '90s, late '90s, and it was parked. And I thought it was a fun format. I mean, I mean, congratulations to the U.S. I think it was so so fun to see them win. And Diggins, I mean, Diggins' last leg, like that's how you ski a five k skate. Like, especially the last K and a half of that thing for Dickens to to seal the victory for the US. Wow. That's, that's how her you do
2: scenes, it. Like, holy smokes on those downhills, she was absolutely oh, obliterating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, joy, joy to watch. And, you know, like, also just, I feel like, you know, you had Rosie and Scott and Zach, like, just really. You know, for them to kind of get rewarded at the end of the season like that, just I I, like it really, it really kind of warmed my heart just to, I mean, you know, Zach Ketterson, like first time representing the U.S. on a relay team. And, and, you know, he had a good like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's all kinds of stuff we could say about this that we don't have to. But um, I don't know. I mean, just like so cool to see the U.S. kind of coming together as a team like that. And I mean, yeah, like. Klivo's Cl- out. Um, Rush is not there. But um, you know, whatever. What can they do about that? And, and like, what a way for those guys to wrap up the season.
1: No, for sure. And I, I, I was thinking, I wanted to get your perspective on it. You, you know, I, I see two two sides of the coin with the format itself. So one, we talked about this earlier on the World Cup. I don't think we should have men's relays or women's relays on the World Cup anymore. They're boring. There's not enough depth. They suck, actually. Like, uh, on the World Cup, they suck. That said, please, God, do not take out the men's relay or the women's relay at the championship. Because that is a historic event that goes back, like, since the beginnings of international cross-country skiing. So at the Olympics or the World Championships, you need to keep the gender relays. They are, you know, the 50K and it's, it's... you know, and the 30k for women, of course. So, so I hope they keep those for the championship. But I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, and then on the flip side, the negative with it is for the men and the women. But, but 5k is short, and when you have fast granular conditions like you, like you did in Falun, it was. The positive is 5k is fun because it keeps a lot of teams in it, and a lot of teams can happen. There can be some surprises, like we saw. We witnessed some surprises. It was great. It was fun to watch but on the flip side is athletes like did or or holland or Teresa that are capacity skiers and that's what distance cross-country skiing is can't do anything on on a course like that when it's only 5k like there's just nothing to do and then and then it's kind of like okay so this is really like just flipping the coin kind of thing and why am i even watching all these legs because it's just going to come down to the last leg anyway and then that was exciting that was awesome so you know but still, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great event, and I, 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 think this is the future for World Cup relays. I think it's a better, I think it's a better event, and especially the men's relay on the World Cup, bringing the distance down to seven point five k, which helped a little bit perhaps. But like, man, there's there maybe is no worse, this discipline on the World Cup than the men's four by seven point five k relay. I mean, that thing sucks so bad, and this fixed relay was not that. It was, it was a lot
2: of fun. Yeah. I mean, I had the same reaction. Like, I mean, <clears throat> it was worth watching, you know, three legs that were not that exciting to get to watch that last leg. You know, if I was not American, if I was like, you know, Finnish, would I feel the same way? I'm not totally sure, but I, I mean, you know, and, and especially, you know, this was not a course where, you know, a harder course would have made the difference. Like this was a, this was a course with like the mortar on it. So, you know, what do you do? But I, you know, I also feel like, um, you know, this has to be trying some new stuff and, and it was just like fun to see this kind of new and different format. And, and, you know, maybe they put it at a different time during the year, you know, on a different course when it's negative 15 Celsius and, you know, it, it just produces sort of more of a strung out field and different results. So, you know, definitely, to me, and it sounds like few. you, I mean, this was obviously like a format that I would say obviously worth trying again. Um, and, and, you know, that's a good time to watch for sure. Um, and, you know, kind of, kind of same with the, te- with the mixed team sprint, you know, like I, I it, it kind of felt like a foregone c- conclusion after you're done with one of 12 laps um, and, and, you know, you're just kind of watching pack, gradually thin out until finally there's, you know, some drama and competition for second and third, but like, you know, it it was still just sort of fun to watch like these new mixed teams. And then like, I, you know, I thought the format was really interesting where like they weren't tagging off, they were sort of crossing the separate finish line and they were like pulling teams, but the pulling of teams didn't really seem to go very smoothly. And like you had Slovenia in there, even after they'd been pulled for a lap, just like kind of weird. I like, you know, I mean, for as much as we give this about being an old, antiquated, conservative organization, like, it's nice to finally, at the very end of the season, seeing them trying something different, and I feel like they deserve at least a little credit for that, for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for putting this this uh, mixed, mixed relay for the distance and... And I actually thought, you know, I thought the mixed team sprint was fun. And I think it's an interesting idea. And I, yeah, it's hard when it gets so tight, right? Like, that's what's tough about pulling those teams that are the last two teams because, like, there was some photo finishes and they couldn't really tell. Like, you can't tell live if, like, there's a lunch or, like, a a photo finish type situation, like, uh oh, Between, (laughs) between teams and one of them has to get pulled. And then it kind of becomes, like, a bit of a mess. But, but I loved it. I mean, I thought, I mean, Sindling skied amazingly well again, and I I enjoyed watching it. I I thought it was a cool format and I I hope they continue with it for sure. And the the hard thing is, is like, we're, we're so limited with medals and days for the world championships and the, and the Olympics, especially because the IOC speaking of another antiquated, like old school, uh, yeah. Horrible, corrupt organization. Um, (laughs) the so like it's hard to get these in to a schedule but I wish we could in a way because I mean especially like I, I think I mean both events are would be great championship events and I, I think I think they had a lot going for them and of course like I I really struggle with this as an organization completely and again we've talked about this a lot like Michael Doris uh, Pierre of course Like the on the ground, the boots on the ground representatives for FIS and cross country are great, really. You know, they're hardworking, they're approachable, their heart's in the right place. They want to see cross country be the sport that it could be. And they take a lot of shit, not just from a couple of hacks, like jammering about it, but also on site. And that's not the problem with FIS. The problem with FIS is like the leadership. At the as an organization and having no term limits and having like guys like John Franco Casper saying some of the most outrageous shit ever as he's smoking like four packs a day at like 78 years old. This is, and still this is
2: the president. former this yeah. is the former Fist but, president who who was in yeah. that job for like 35 years just for folks who don't know.
1: Yeah, and like making comments about Nazi Germany and like just the most outrageous.
2: And like, you know, years. women can't ski jump because, you know, like they're not built for it or whatever. It's, it, it's heinous. It, exactly, but, but, but you know exactly, what, Devin?
1: I feel like, like so, I, so I, I want to split that up. I want to split that up with this, right? Because there is good people in this. And it's, it, it, you know, it, but, but on a leadership perspective, the organization is a train wreck.
2: And, and I think it's, but I do think it's actually like important, like an important point to acknowledge. I mean, and this, this was something that I, I think kind of came through a little bit more for me being at the Olympics this year, just with like a little more time and age and tiny amounts of wisdom that I've accumulated uh, in my other professional life that, you know, don't really count for anything or, or you know, they still leave me in the bottom 10, 10% of, of wisdom, but like, you know, I don't think we talk about enough and what I don't think people appreciate enough is that like, you know, this is not this like anonymous institution of like old white dudes. It is like the white dudes that, old, old white dudes that these countries, meet, like USSA and, and cross country Canada or not cross country Canada, but whatever the sort of umbrella organization is, it's like, you know, to the extent that there are any democratic values of this, like the U.S. has a voice, the administration and governance of this, and so does Canada, and so do all these other nations. And so, to the extent that like this cannot progress and adapt and move itself, I mean, I think sense is like a lot of it is about the way that the institution is set up. But I also think that like. If folks are frustrated with the way that the TV coverage is happening, with the way that the formats are happening, with the way that sort of international issues are, are happening, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, Doris and and Pierre Minieri, who's the race director, and Michael Lamplot, who's the assistant race director, who are like really great folks. And, you know, folks who think about the sport and want the sport to succeed, like, they they have no choice on a lot of this stuff. Like they can only do what they're directed to do by, you know, the old white dudes that are in charge of this who ultimately like, you know, work kind of for us. And so like, if you don't like what you're seeing, you know, you should be contacting like your coaches and other representatives to your national body that are, that are representatives to the, you know, that, that have connections to the folks that are the FIS council members from the U.S. and from Canada and and from Scandinavia, because, like, those are the folks that control the direction of the organization. So, you know, I don't know, like, I'm not, this is not like a contact your U.S. senator and tell them to vote this way. But I think it, it, like, it is, it's easy to just, like, throw up our hands and say we don't have a voice and we don't have any control when, when the reality is that, like, the folks that run FIS like our representatives as like skiing nations and, you know, should still be listening. So I just, I felt like that was an important thing to say.
1: And it is, no, but it's super important thing to say. And thanks for bringing that up. And, and, and this is, this in lies the problem. It, I've said this before with, with this especially, but the IOC is the same. There are no term limits. So the, the, the representatives of USSA or Canada or wherever you can essentially like, Be the Canadian representative as if you're like a Supreme Court justice, like for life. Like, do you know what I mean? And then this is something that happens in every step of the organization of this, where like you can hold a position forever. It's outrageous. And this exasperates the problem because each country gets these people in there that quote unquote represent ussa or represent like us skiing not cross-country skiing but us skiing and then they they go to these like these congresses and councils and they hang out with their other old rich white dudes and they you know what i mean like it's just like it's laughable so the change that has to happen yes i agree it has to happen from us and and who represents us but also i would like to see canada and usa and other countries maybe try to move the needle at home to say like maybe it's not a great thing that you're the american representative for fist for the next 37 years or whatever like we're seeing how that's playing out in some countries around the world that i don't need to mention maybe it's not a great idea that one person runs a show for like indefinitely in in a political in a political arena because it's not shareholder; it's not like a company, a CEO, where you're accountable to your shareholders, and they can choose, you know, and the board can choose to, to keep you or not. This isn't like that, and and it it drives me mental. And
2: well, I mean, imagine if 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 we got to actually vote for our representatives to this, like how much of an improvement that would be. Um, exactly, you know,
1: we do that, and the fact that we don't do that in in the U.S. or Canada, like these bastions of democracy is laughable so when we sit there and we like bitch about an organization that's corrupt and backwards and poorly run as FIS is especially when it pertains to cross-country skiing because they do do a lot of great things in alpine we can't argue that i mean alpine production's great it's it's the f1 a winter sport it's 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 good um but in cross-country again this is we're we're getting way off on a tangent but but you're right you're absolutely right like how in God's name, is the US not a fully democratic process? Not just where like some elites can choose and vote on who they want representing them in fist, but like every license holder of USSA, why aren't, why isn't there a, a full like total across the board, dis, across the disciplines vote to see who represents them? at this and they, they don't do that because you know what these old white guys have a great time when they go to Buenos Aires or they go to like wherever hawaii for their fist congresses and and chum up with their chain smoking swiss colleagues you know what i mean it's it's a it's a boondoggle it's, it's so
2: so you know what we're gonna do is this is a good segue into our uh, into our pitch for our crowdfunding of Devin and Nat go to the Croatian seaside to quote unquote cover the uh, the 2022 annual fist congress and and get uh you know uh, under under the hood of uh you know the world's most sketchy ski governance organization so you know maybe there's maybe there's an opportunity there that's a, that's a joke but it's you know it's a little too close <laughs> to the truth i will say i mean i don't it feels like maybe this is kind of a good good point for us to be wrapping up and i'm sure you know you probably have a lot more to say than i do on this point but like i just wanted to to like kind of pour one out for the Folks, like you know, there's this like one guy, uh, Joseph Coleman, who's been like sending us an email with his awesome. observations from like every World Cup weekend for the past few weekends, and like awesome. the, the dedication of, of folks who have been listening to this podcast all year and like giving us feedback, like giving us like nice feedback and and you know, caustic awesome feedback at times, but like, um, it's a really like bizarre thing to just you know have have jumped into this um with you Devin, and and like feel like there's this like absolutely unquenchable audience thirst for cross-country ski gossip and whatever the heck we're talking about and just wanted to like really acknowledge that on the last podcast of the world cup season and you know again i'm sure you can probably put that in a much better way than me, but it's been really awesome to be able to do this and hope we get to continue uh in some fashion through the off season as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. We'll we will try and get it done more in the off season. Obviously it won't be every single week, but you know, we will see what Nat and I will we'll go to the drawing board and see. We both um off recording have some good ideas of of some guests we can talk about and maybe have some topics that are a lot more broad reaching. And speaking of of the of, of the people that have reached out to us and, and sent us messages and uh, it's humbling. Like it really is. It's so humbling and it shows how great the and, and passionate the ski community is in North America. And it's uh, and not just North America. I mean, we get messages from people from different areas of the world as well. And uh, it means a lot. It means a lot to me. I I'm, I agree with you, Nat. I, I think it's so fun to hear and, and read, people emailing us oh yeah just so excited for what happened and what they saw and want to get our feedback and see if we can integrate it into a a show to explain it better to for them or this, that the other it 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 means a lot and also again it's great when when we get called on our called on it like i mean this is a this is a ghetto production what can we say It's, it's you know this is like this is a conversation so you know sometimes we make mistakes or 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 say things that are some people find a little controversial, and I think it's great that, that uh, people feel emboldened to to reach out to us and, and call us on it, which is which is awesome. So we appreciate that too.
2: Yeah. Um, well, can we uh, can we call it a season? Do you have anything else you need to get off your chest?
1: No, man. Let's call it a season. The only thing I need to get off my chest is like tyrosine kinase receptors and the pathways. <laughs> so i've got a giant exam in the world's most boring material happening in 17 days but who's counting right and uh, i should probably get back to that but uh <laughs> thanks a, nice. thanks a lot, thanks a lot to everybody that listened and followed along and, and like i said in the past we've gone like full-on radio silence off <laughs> season after the last world cup uh races and nat and i are both committed to to not do that this time but that said we we do have to to have a little chat together and then try and come up with a schedule. And one last thing is we have so many emails that we are we are at the minimum gonna have a mailbag episode in, in not too so very long. So you'll you'll hear our annoying voices in not so very long. In the meantime, go ahead and get out there and enjoy the the spring skiing. It's the best time to be a cross country skier. No question.
0: Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.